We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to episode 381 of the Win and Six podcast, proudly a part of the Eurostep podcast network and the Blue Wire podcast family. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. I say as always, Jordan, I wasn't here last time. You got to do an intro. Wow, well, that was that was an experience. It was just, it was like free, freeform jazz. It was just how you felt. It was going everywhere, but it... It worked. It made sweet, sweet music. How are you doing back in our usual dynamics? I'm doing well. It was the play random of podcast intros or pod random, uh, to quote Rohan. Um, yeah, it was very, now we're back in where things belong. <laughs> Not me just like, rah! Just going, <laughs> the, uh, when it's six. I enjoyed very, it quite a lot. very Howard Dean of me right there. That little like, blah! I, I enjoyed it a lot. It was very much the podcast intro of a man who has not had to do like probably 800, 900 podcast intros and be yes. like, I better remember all of the different things I've got to mention here. I enjoyed it. It was entertaining to me. Um, have the books been entertaining us over the Christmas? Uh, more on that later. We'll talk towards the back end of the pod about the books play, where things are at. I think the general feeling and the undoubted slide in the standings. I don't want to say, though, 
we want to talk about something positive first because I don't think that's accurate, but we're going to lead off here. Um, Rowan and Ty had a Eurostep diving into a lot of the books basketball of recent days, only kind of excluding the, the books Bulls game. And in the aftermath of that, some really big news. I don't want to say broke because we have heard the rumblings, but it began to get fleshed out further. And that was Mark Stein on a Substack um, wrote a piece called Changes Coming to Books Ownership? Question mark. Essentially adding uh, to what Bill Simmons has alluded to, to what Woj has alluded to, that it seems like Mark Lazary is looking to sell his stake in the books. This is really, really big news. Uh, we're going to go deep on it. We're going to talk about all of the different implications. I guess the the whys, some of the hows, maybe some of the whos, Jordan. Um, but it kind of, I don't know. This is something that a lot of people might be like, yeah, yeah, we're in the middle of the season and the books are absolutely terrible. It's time to panic about the basketball. This is a really big deal, though, for looking at what this team is, what it does in terms of how they put a roster together, how much money they're prepared to pay, what they can do, what comes next, what does the, if we want to say the back half of Giannis's time with the books look like, what do the franchise look like long beyond that? All of this is very much more uncertain than it would just generally be um, with the possibility that there could be ownership changes. So I, I guess to give the, the main headline to come out of that first, one of the things that Stein alluded to is that it seems like Wes Edens is interested in buying Mark Lazary's stake, upping his ownership share, and I guess becoming not quite the sole majority owner, but as close to that as you're, you're realistically sure. going to get. Certainly putting himself considerably clear of Jamie Dine and Mike Fasciatelli, who are the other, I guess we can assume, meaningful shareholders. They are the other kind of named owners. Whether this is a completely equitable kind of democratic split, I think we know the answer to that. It's not Lazarus and Edens are in first, but what I'm assuming was 50-50 or very close to that, aside from some other minor shareholders that they brought in. We know all about some of the minor shareholders, Mr. Aaron Rodgers being one of them. Um, but it seems like they would have started from a place that was pretty close to 50-50. Then Jamie Dining came in and kind of became the third face of ownership. I don't know. We have never had the specifics of this outlined. I would assume Dining has a meaningful share, but still was never at the level of Lazary and Edens, who it's worth noting are also the only two figures to have acted as uh, governor for the books with the NBA Board of Governors. Yep. Currently in the second cycle of that and the third kind of cycle is not far away. And I mean, the reporting has been that it was going to go back to Edens anyway. So if they're the two guys that that role is alternating between, I think it's safe to say they are the two with comfortably the greatest shareholding, Mike Fasciatelli around the time of the arena and his involvement from a construction site and building that. Whether that was uh, part of a deal to get better prices, part of a thank you for his work. I don't know exactly how all of that worked. 
he all of a sudden entered the fold and has been someone again when ownership press conferences take place, when owners are sitting courtside, he is one of the more prominent figures. So that has been the composition of the ownership group. I think safe to say Lazarian Eden's very much to the forefront of that as the two majority owners, um, Dynan and Fasciatelli with meaningful shares beyond them. Jordan, I think it's safe to say that over the course of um, the LED, now with an F in a in a piece that people may read soon, either Delph or Fled, if we want to call it that. <laughs> um, Jordan has a Substack post going up on this subject. You should sign up, check it out, gspn.substack.com. Um, there have been ups and downs with this group. I mean, obviously, we have the greatest of highs, but we can't pretend that like the just the general kind of day to day ownership has always rolled smoothly, that they have not at times been laughing stocks. It feels like in recent years, though, we've come through that things have very much stabilized. We can argue and debate there may be some reasons for that as opposed to others, which would be interesting if there were to be changes. Um but overall, I mean, this is a stable ownership group for as much as I don't like about a lot of things regarding to the books. They're spending, they're paying a luxury tax, they've committed to that, they've invested significantly in the arena with the help of a not insignificant amount of public funding, it must be added. But I do think it is fair to say that beyond that, they have further kind of put their money into the area in building something which puts the books in about as kind of stable footing as any franchise, any city's franchise outside of kind of New York, LA, Chicago, in the entirety of the NBA. So on the whole, I think this has been a really, really undeniably positive ownership group. And so change to that is... It's something to watch carefully. And we'll talk about the many different ways this can go. But where do you want to start? Because I know you've been thinking quite a lot on this too. Do you want to start on the Lazary side of this? And um, before we then kind of go further into what may happen next, who may want to be involved? Yes, let's go Lazary. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, because you just outlined all the reasons why you still own a significant share in a basketball team who has, I mean, Pfizer Forum is five years old, but still a very new arena. It's settled for a long time. They have the Deer District. They have possible music venues, um, uh, hotels, all this surrounding area that is going to give them money, 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 money for a long time. <laughs> and now that things get muddled. We're talking about different things than necessarily just owning a basketball team. But why now would he be wanting to sell? Is the Brian Winters? Yes. Why? Um, that I don't know. It, it's very interesting because it's like he's not the like the thing too is that we're approaching a decade with this ownership group. As you mentioned, there have been ups and downs. There have been fascitellies and dinins added along the way. Um, but it's still like in the grand scheme of things of 
the NBA of the 30 teams that are in the league, there has not been a lot of changeover. I know it's been more recent and it's going to keep on happening with all the things that are coming to the league with new uh, media rights deal expansion is openly being talked about by the commissioner. So you're going to see more teams at least being talked about for sale or actively being sold. And for someone like Lazary, who you mentioned, it, he's been very prominent within the Bucks dealings, very uh, even like, <laughs> I was going to make this joke on my uh, post, but like I can tell you how many times I watched CNBC because during the the lockdown of, of the 2019-20 the season, for his appearances on CNBC's Power Lunch to see if there's any updates on if the NBA is coming back anytime soon. So he's a very, like, it's not like he's hiding in the shadows. There are a lot of owners in the league that are, like, just actively do what they do and don't answer for anything that they do. It, it feels like he's he's risen to prominence in a spokesman-like sense too, though, and oh, has been yeah. pr- pretty happy to embrace that. Okay, I'll be one of the the ownership faces of the NBA. And whether that comes with, you know, being the active governor of the Bucks, and the Bucks being who, a contender and a champion in that time too. That too. Um, who's to say? But it's very interesting to look at all the things that are going up and up and up and up for the Bucks in terms of just being an NBA team and obviously competing for championships on the court and then be like, yeah, I think I'm going to look around and start selling. So that to me, is, I mean, it's just very interesting timing. And the fact that, I mean, you mentioned there's been a lot of smoke to this fire for weeks and months at this point. Um, and that only increased with the Suns being sold to Matt Ishbia. And then a week later, this comes out with from Stein. And it just, it doubt it like to me more than anything, as we will get into specifics, but it's definitely Lazary just shooting out there like, hey, I'm open for business. Let's talk kind of thing. It, that's what it just sounds like more than anything. Do you want to um, go a little bit deeper on Matt Ishbia, just as you've mentioned him there? Because this to me feels like possibly I'm not saying this has come from Matt Ishbia, but I, I think in the aftermath of the Suns being purchased, I think there's probably details have emerged from his interests and conversations he's had about trying to get into the NBA. And that's really seems to have coincided with the Lazarus details coming out and the connections are very, very clear and pronounced between Lazarus and Matt Ishbia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, the thing listening, I listened to like the Woj pod after the news broke that he, uh, Ishbia purchased the Suns. He mentioned that he had been in talks with other franchises and mentioned the Bucks as one of them. And the key difference between all of the teams that he listed, like the Suns, I think the Clippers were mentioned, though. At the timing on all of these things were very murky and were spelled out but it was like okay these teams are active actively sold in recent years the bucks were sold a little bit you know closer to 10 years ago but it's not like they're we there's no there was no outright like we're selling the team kind of thing 
it was more of like someone is going to be selling within a team rather than like the team is being sold like the Suns or the Clippers or uh, I think the Wolves were mentioned, the Pistons or whatever. So, yeah, from that angle of just like, oh, that's interesting timing. And then there's been more learned about like Matt Ishbian, just, you know, his come up and all this stuff. And he donated to Alex Lazary's senatorial campaign. Um, I don't know if that was another in with Lazary or Ishbia, but like the thing is like all these people know each other. There's not a, it's not like talking about the billionaires club or whatever. It's not a lot of people in entry. So it's like, you see the same names and faces go along with each other. So I just think it's like, for whatever the tight circle that happens and people that want to own an NBA team, I think it's just very clear in how things just kind of get arranged and how everything gets aligned where it's like, okay, if you do this, maybe I'll sell you my share of the box. I don't know. I don't know where it, where it goes. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's obviously so much that's kind of hard to parse out of this and maybe we'll always remain that way. Um, and thinking about Mark Lazary and him being this very visible and vocal owner within the books, obviously we do have the extent of the family. You do have Alex Lazary's uh, senatorial bid within Wisconsin. So like if it felt like something that generally the Lazary and Eden's um, kind of line has been, they view this as something that was going to run through their families for generations and generations. Mm-hmm. We have heard that uttered before when it comes to the books. And honestly, in the NBA, more often than not, that is how owners view it. And I think it's going to become more and more like that um, as the value goes up and up and up. And I, I really, I don't see that bubble crashing anytime soon that it's the kind of thing we can get on to speculating. Well, maybe Lazary would like to be involved in other teams or something like that. But the reality is, as the value goes up and up and up, the best time to have got in on an NBA team was like when the book sell for 500 million and two guys can go in with 250 each. And all of a sudden you own something that's worth two and a half billion that a few years from now is probably worth five billion. That's going to climb towards 10 billion. And like, it's not going to get any easier to get one of these franchises. One, the barriers to entry are going to be so much greater. Um, also, I mean, we touched on it briefly on a recent pod. The NBA seems to be starting a process of relaxing who can invest in NBA franchises. Um, we may see more foreign money come in. We may see sovereign wealth funds decide this is something they want a piece of. We're a way off from solely kind of state-owned NBA teams, it seems yet. And I know we talked about this before. I I expressed my doubts, which I will do again, of Adam Silver getting away with this. Um, I think it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, we're open to that. And I think it will be another thing over time as that gets eased up if a foreign state is looking to buy an NBA team. I wonder if the US government will have anything to say about that or how they will feel about that. So I think there's a lot to kind of play out down that particular road but it is another one where adam silver has spoken somewhat openly and seems Mm -hmm. the wheels are in motion like they are with expansion like they are with a cup competition all these things like and which again that's actually something else too an in-season tournament 
another revenue stream. It's another thing. It may fall into place. I know a lot of people feel it will or have no interest. Uh, but if you were speculating in terms of the value of NBA teams, it's another way that the interest in this league may increase and another way where you may get people tuning in in large numbers before you get to April, May, and June. I just, my one thing on this is that to me, from something as I know this is very dear to your heart, Mark Lazary playing in the celebrity all-star game on a near annual basis, he has always seemed to me to be the most invested in owning an NBA team, as in owning a basketball team, in being at games and being interested in that side of it, um, in the kind of, I'm a billionaire, I get to buy a professional sports team. This is the dream. It always felt much more closely rooted to him as, you know, this is the dream. Um, I, I think one of the things that certainly we criticized this ownership group for early on, and it's not uncommon when new owners come in and they've never owned a team before, they get way too hands-on, way too hands-on. They want to make the decisions. And we saw a lot of the good and the bad of that. And specifically, we could point to Lazary. I mean, the Lazary kid connection in particular was well documented early on. That's kind of a big part of how Jason Kidd got to Milwaukee and why he stayed longer than he should have. I I just think though it's it's surprising. Now it's easy for us to say it's surprising because we are not privy to his financial circumstances. There have been a couple of high profile stories in recent years around companies Mark Osry has invested in, how things have played out there. I don't know. Maybe this is just, you know what? It makes business sense. Um, if if things were kind of, if his outlook financially was a little bit different or slightly stronger, maybe this is something he'd never do, but it might just be a very pragmatic business decision. The kind that the hedge fund manager is going to make of being like, well, the value is going to soar here. My position would be a lot stronger if I cashed in now um, and I could do it in a pretty painless way perhaps internally, perhaps with a partner. And then I can kind of go on my life from there, equipped with the knowledge we've got. I mean, the other thing that is worth mentioning here is it is no secret that, I mean, the Lazarus are from New York. Um, I feel like it was explicitly stated early on that, you know, they would love, they would have loved to own the New York Knicks, which... Minority any, owner in the Knicks as well, too. Yes, that's true, Knicks. which had to be sold. Which, look, anyone, anyone, if you're a billionaire, of course you'd love to own the New York Knicks. Um, because there's only one way that thing can go, and that's up. Um, <laughs> the, the fact that that has proven to be the case while James Dolan has made them the laughing stock of the NBA for close to the entirety of his ownership, um, and they just haven't competed on the court. And yet the value is going to go up. The interest never dips. You are the New York Knicks. So there's always a possibility that someone would be like, well, if I got in there and I made that a good basketball team, if that was a well-run organization, the reality is I don't think any of us are actually even like mentally prepared for what that world looks like. Because if the Knicks were good, I don't, the Knicks might be unstoppable. Like if the Knicks were just fully functioning in every other way, the inbuilt advantages they have on all other fronts would even blow the likes of the Lakers away. Um, so maybe that's a world that is best that none of us have ever had to live in, really, and we may never have to. 
I don't know. To, to buy the Knicks is uh, it's big boy money, Jordan. It's beyond big boy money. <sighs> to be a part of buying the Knicks, that might be something different. This is just obviously pure speculation. I don't know. Maybe something like that in a longer term view is something that appeals to him. Maybe it's just, you know what? We've had our fun with the NBA. We won a championship. What more is there to do? That could also factor in either. But I am surprised of all of the owners that this news could have come out about. I was surprised that it was Mark Lazary. But it's entirely possible that yeah, it might just be what makes most financial sense for him right now. And depending on all of his other holdings, all of his other business interests, and such is life, who knows? But there are there are certainly other ways it could go. And I do think his relationship has seemed very strong with Adam Silver, with other owners. We talked about him becoming kind of something of a visible and vocal figure in the NBA, someone capable of being a spokesman. That would always lead me to think, hmm, you know, right. it's not it's not impossible. Even if it's get out now and we don't see him for a few years, it wouldn't shock me that if another opportunity comes down the line or this is also the thing. Like we talk with the Knicks, the Knicks aren't for sale. There aren't reports out there with the Knicks being for, for sale. But to your point, Jordan, about there's a very small number of people in this spot. It's a very select group. The kind of things that they hear and will feel about, you know, when things could become available. Again, just using the Knicks as an example, because it's one that makes sense based on the history of the people involved rather than maybe the future. You may hear something and it might be like, okay, well, wouldn't that be the fun next thing to do? Let's start planning. Let's get the wheels in motion on that. I don't know. The The further complications then are going to be all those other auxiliary interests we talked about, I'm not entirely sure which of them are tied into, I can't remember the actual company name um, of what they have set up that owns the books, but also I'm not entirely sure then if oh. it's the same entity that owns Pfizer Forum and the Deer oh, District yes. and the yes. Cluckery and all of those other various things. And as you mentioned, the the new music venue that they are <laughs> they're working on getting done, not without opposition. But yeah. I I don't know how all of that breaks down and if that complicates this process greatly. If for example it was someone outside of the walls at the moment, if it wasn't Edens that a deal was reached with, or Fashitelli, or Dynan, or Aaron Rodgers, Jordan. Um, I I don't know if that complicates things because is this something where it's like they may have agreements between themselves that oh you're in, we're all in on this. You don't get to you don't get to sell your stake in the team, but keep your stake in this. I don't know if it's all the one. That's going to be a question that at some point may become clearer, but if he is actively trying to sell his stake in the team, as we're going to sit here reported, what does that mean? Does that mean stake in the team? Does that mean all kind of Milwaukee books related interests and properties? Because that is a much bigger thing. And we talk about the value of the books and the value of the books. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised that if the whole team was up for sale now, if you could look at, the Timberwolves went for one point five billion, right? One point five billion. Suns obviously went for four billion, and 
with a way worse arena situation. Bigger market, bigger market. Yeah. And, yeah. and always, always viewed as one of the highest potential markets. I mean, with that though, even if we're being somewhat conservative, I think the books would go for twice the Timberwolves. Yeah. I think 3 billion would be somewhere in the ballpark of what I'd imagine the book's current value to be. And honestly, you can make a case for more than that because you're buying into the books at a point where Giannis Antetokounmpo is still there. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you have a chance to buy into instant success. Like people buy a team to dream of winning a championship. It is very rare. Like the Sun situation is not one that comes up very often where you're buying a good team with star players where you're like, oh, well, we could win a championship a year or two from now. Usually it's at the end of a cycle when a team becomes available. Yeah. I mean, the books are an example of that. Just it was a cycle that went on and on and on and on and on. Uh... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's that's a lot of various different thoughts related to, to the Lazarus side of it. Have you got anything anything else on that? Well, this is reckless speculation stuff. Yes, all this whole podcast is we have uh over the years, Jordan, you and I have written a lot of a lot of blog posts on all of the like little bits and pieces of ownership related stuff, read the articles here or there, probably more so than most fans have or honestly would ever have any need to. So we've a lot of just kind of banked knowledge that's largely useless, but ex- except for today, today no. it has a purpose. So it this is just prevails. us airing a lot of that out and throwing some ideas out. This is all speculation. Um, so w- the first thing is when a, a, in the aftermath of Sarver selling the Suns and all this stuff and what it meant for the team and the franchise and all blah blah blah, there's a lot of like what you listen to Woj or you listen to listen listening to the NBA insiders that know this very you know sensitive stuff. They they have it in with owners. They know how the board of Go- governors operates. All this stuff. They talk about. 
people representing the league. <clears throat> and obviously Robert Sarver, terrible person. <laughs> um, they want to get rid of people that, you know, don't take care of their own people well, that work for their own franchise. They want every, it's, you know, a utopia that they're trying to seek out for because when people have a lot of money, they tend to kind of cut corners or they're not great people or, you know, moralistically uh, aligned with one another. But the NBA rep looks at their owners and as, you know, they're the faces of, or they represent what this the league is about. And, you know, it's from the top down, blah, 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 blah. So there's a lot of talk about like investing in people that they want to have represent their league. To that end, I don't think they necessarily want Mark Lazary to leave this circle. You know what I mean? That's part of the, like, as much as it is about him, you know, making business deals or his showing his business sense, I think they would probably view it as a loss to what they're doing. But I don't know. I don't That's, buy it. You don't buy I, it? I don't buy it. Um, honestly, I think it's just it's lip service. The, the NBA will let anyone in to buy and own their teams. They do not care if you're a good person or not until you're in the league and a problem arises. And yeah. that is that is the, the pattern of what we've seen. And I think that will only continue to become more pronounced. And honestly, as time goes on, they'll probably find it even tougher to act on the latter sure. scenario too. Like I, I don't buy it. I really don't. I think it's it's when something happens. The NBA have been very reactive. Um, I don't like using a term like this because of how it's often framed. But I do think the NBA can be guilty of virtue signaling. Um, they're mm. a very PR focused. Yeah, league, like they're they're very much trying to adjust to what they feel their reputation should be, rather than stepping out in front and creating their reputation. And I think early in Silver's tenure, there was a sense of, oh, this is what the NBA stands for, and they're they're kind of they're putting their they're planting their feet, and this is who they are. And as time has gone on, that is not they, what it is. Yes. It's not. They will, when the time arises to do something performatively, and I'm not saying that that doesn't mean it doesn't still have value or isn't good, but I I would consider myself very, very skip, skeptical of some of the motives in how the NBA has gone about that. So I really don't think they care where the money is coming from or what kind of person. And also to, on, to that note, I'm not going to name names, but I've got some names in my head. There are owners in the NBA right now that where their money goes and a lot of their values and kind of things they represent that have done otherwise don't mesh with what the NBA will present itself as when the need arises. They just happen to do all of that very quietly. And it never becomes something where there's a scandal and then Adam Silver has to be called to answer questions on it. And I think that's fine. Like, I, I don't think they want loud, dumb billionaires who are going to come in and try to, like, break things for the league and yeah. who are also going to say all of the wrong things that are going to alienate sponsors and broadcasters. But if someone comes in and is the worst person in the world and they want to be that quietly, I don't think the NBA would care. 
True. Very true. Um, second thing. Part of the reason why this is not any, you know, financial or like logic-based reason, but if I'm Mark Lazary and I'm looked at as, you know, under your term as the Bucks governor, you won a championship. You were a principal reason why Giannis Antetokounmpo ended up staying in Milwaukee, along with, you know, a Supermax extension that paid him the highest contract in NBA history. Um, all these things, like, point to, like, your, the, the, you know, goals that you set out when you purchased this team, you accomplished. You made, you got an arena done. Um, again, in half his own uh, share of money or whatever, and then half of the public. That, that's, uh, like, whatever we think of that morally, the way that arena got done is a massive success if you're Mark Lazary. That is the ultimate success. Well, the ultimate success would have been getting public money to pay for all of it. But yeah. barring that, that's the that's the biggest success he could have. Again, if we're talking about like mission accomplished and what's going on your resume, it's like I got an arena built and I didn't even have to pay for all of it. Like mm-hmm. we're we're noting where our views fall on that will be different to measuring the success of what he's achieved as an owner. Yeah. Um, from, from a legacy perspective in the Bucks history, do you want to be looked at as an owner that, you know, brought this goodwill to the team and the fans and all this stuff of like, there's a sense of mission accomplished here. Let's go on to the next thing. Perhaps it, perhaps it's a line of thinking in his, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I, I just... I, I've got a counter to this that you're not going to be able to dispute because because uh, that why would you on the Knicks? <laughs> we're we're no, but we're we're in these reads in particular, and we know better than anyone. That's not how it works. Fans don't remember owners, particularly if you're there for a short time, and particularly if one of the guys you won with stays longer. Like what if Edens gets championship number two, championship number three? You could feel good about that in your own right. Um ask like maybe this is this is something we can we can look to do later in the year we just stop books fans outside Pfizer form and ask them to name oh books I, owners throughout history how many do you think you're gonna hear cool but that's the thing the, the thing he's the, about he's this... the only owner part of this group you're gonna hear the average fan I mean it, that's not you'll have some some older fans will remember Fitzgerald yes Going back beyond that, I think is is less so, and you yeah. know, this is people. Someone's got to do something about that, and someone may. But I like, I I think in theory that's fine, and maybe he can view that himself. I would say in reality, championship and all, you're very likely to be forgotten. Yeah, I I I do agree with that on the whole. I do think there is just something about. I don't know if it, this is a Bucks thing or Wisconsin sports, considering the um, the Bucks' neighbors, if you will. There's their sisters and brothers, but the, the fact that the Packers are notorious for not being owned by a single owner, sure, um, 
the Bucks have been saved multiple times, and Herb Cole was, you know, the prodigal son, Milwaukee native, saves him, blah, blah, blah. There's just something about, like, there, not to just do this stupid, this is going to sound so stupid, but it's like, it means more to know that, like, someone from who who owns the team it means more of like how people understand that but maybe that's just me and just being in, in what way though you i i think it's because it's as it's, in you you think there's an outsized importance on ownership because sports fans of the state are maybe even more wary of who owns a team because of the packers model and the success that that's brought is that i would certainly say that for reasons, um, listen, I don't know if you know, I do in my spare time a Milwaukee Brewers podcast. Yes, and we we regularly talk about the odor and ownership situation there, and how it might just not be a match. Maybe, maybe Jordan Mark Lazary also listens to that Brewers podcast. <laughs> he wants to buy the Brewers. <laughs> maybe he's not going far at all. He's buying the Brewers. He's like, hey, Giannis, uh, you already have a share of the Brewers. Do you That's mind? Just see business with Yana still, he's gonna buy the Brewers. Uh, I'm just listen if anyone is listening. Um, Mark Lazary, if you're getting out of the books business, <laughs> you want to get I would encourage you to get into the Brewers business. It could be another opportunity you, to you get in at Steve the low Cohen? price. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I just think I think there's just so many examples in Milwaukee sports history. Do you not think though that's the case of mattering in the moment? And I also like uh, your point is your point mm. is not. I'm not dismissing it, but I also think there's some very weird ownership cases like Budsey, like like that matters, but that's a that's such a weird kind of, and particularly by the point it ends up, that's not a normal ownership situation at all. No, like as <laughs> no. far removed from that as there could possibly be. Uh, Herb Cole and in how ingrained he is in the state, that's not a normal situation either. Like, but there's just something about but go beyond that. And I think it's I, I think it matters in the moment. Like, I do think if this story was breaking in August, for example, I think yes, book fans would be giving it a lot more energy than they're gonna do right now. Or maybe if the books are on like a five-game winning streak right now, more focus would go to this than probably is is going to in all likelihood. Oriented. I don't think uh, this is not like again, this is not any reflection of the things he has done because he brought I don't think your average book fan is gonna care what Mark Lazary did three years from now if he's gone. No. And I think five years from now a lot of people may may struggle to remember the name. And I think that's just a reflection of owners. And when we talk about like name ownership, even like Cole owned the team for a long time. And obviously everyone knows Cole's name for reasons far beyond the books. See, like that's again, there's like real kind of legacy built in. There's more reasons than just the brewers to remember the name. But when you kind of branch out across all big American sports, it's like owners they are like dynasty ownerships they are that our family is going to own this for generations they are the owners that people know other than that nobody knows nobody cares and that's kind of how it plays out like if if you are in this for a legacy 
there i think there's a difference between like a legacy legacy and maybe a, a sense of personal legacy which is that i'm sure mark lazary has a replica larry o'brien trophy that sits somewhere within his home and he has a championship ring that kind of thing like that's a personal legacy you can always look to as a look what i did i don't foresee unless his friends and you know possibly the people he sells to in the ownership group decided to do this for him i don't foresee a mark lazary way around pfizer form <laughs> in, in the herb cole sense no yeah. and, and that's like that's legacy in the broader and that's the thing that's kind of tough for this ownership group in that sense. The thing they have is the championship, but they also have Giannis and they have, we're, we're like, we're living in this right now. We're, we're seeing the kind of discourse that plays out around this. It's not, it's not kind of overflowing. It's not reached the fever pitch just yet, but they won a championship and it, that was as special as it could be for everyone. But they will also be judged on the fact of, do you only win one championship with Giannis in this era? More so in the now than maybe in the long term, but yeah, we can already feel that coming. Like it's just it's a really tough spot. They didn't get the credit for saving the team and getting the new arena because Herb Cole, that credit belonged to him on the way out for selling to a group that wouldn't move the team, for donating some of his money to the arena, all of that stuff. So there are things that they do have, like they had to do a lot of the the politicking um to actually get the arena over yeah. the line but the credit for that in terms of history goes to herb cole for picking them as the people and for for showing goodwill i i don't really one way or another i'm not having uh too much of an opinion on that i just think the legacy discussion is a is a tough one i think it's a lot easier for mark lazary to walk away and he should if he's selling the team he should walk away and feel like I achieved a lot. I did something pretty special there and I can look on that forever. I just don't think like, it'll be like, oh, Mark Lazarus couldn't walk into a bar in Milwaukee for the rest of his life. Give him without, beer! <laughs> without floods of people coming over to buy a beer. I just don't think the legacy in that way exists, in part because it's nearly a decade, but that's still a relatively short period of time. Yeah. That's All right, let's. With that, that's a lot on the Lazary element of it. If he sells to Edens, we're in a very different situation than we have been in recent years. We have, sure, they'll be dining and fashionelli, but honestly, they'll be super diluted. And if if uh, Edens doesn't feel like they've ever doing press, they probably won't be because their share will be so meaningless compared to his. He'll be a clear majority shareholder. Um, I wonder exactly how all of that plays out again if Lazary's stake is up for sale. I'm sure it's in all of the shareholders among a certain kind of grouping that they have option on that. I, I don't know if it could even just be as simple as, oh, well, I want it, I'm buying it all. If they go straight auction on it, I have no idea. But it would give us, for the first time since Herb Co, a clear majority owner. So... If that was to play out, I think, look, the positives right from the jump is uh, better the devil you don't than the devil you don't. Like, I think a, a sense of continuity, a sense of someone who has had a major part in building all of this, so isn't instantly going to come in and feel like, 
yeah, but I've got my own ideas. I want this player on the team. Like, I want this coach. Oh, we we don't need a new owner syndrome kind of no. scenario again. So I think that would be one of the big pluses of if this sale was to uh, take place internally. Singular voice. Singular voice. My one thing here, Jordan. Are we sure Wes Edens is a good owner? Because this is the thing that is near impossible for us to get an answer to, but we could find out very quickly if this change was to take place. So a lot of the dysfunction that really marked the ownership group early on took place under Eden's governorship. Now, was that are those two things related? I we we can't really say for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean there are probably a lot of book sounds who don't remember it. I remember the days of all of the, you know, the anecdotes of kind of gamesmanship, the corridors of power stuff that used to go on and you get all of these things. And it really ties back to the kid era. And I guess if you've got a coach like that, just the, the atmosphere, just it trickles out the toxicity of it. Everyone is stabbing everyone in the back. But there was a time where it would be like, oh, well, Wes Edens would like to do this. Mark Lassery is thinking this, which, sure, the idea of a singular voice gets rid of that. But we also haven't had to deal with that in recent years. No. So I don't expect you to have an answer for this, but this is something when I hear this news, one of the things that does come to mind for me is, okay, well this is a conversation we were going to be having probably 18 months from now anyway, when governorship was going to revert to Edens. But was the, was the style of ownership that we saw in the first five years, was that a reflection of Edens or was that a reflection of a larger group that was just struggling to come to terms with it? Maybe it's a combination of both. And obviously you'd expect that lessons would have been learned from the first time around anyway. Um, but I have a few things here. There's a few things I think on Eden's that we should talk through, but this is one of the first ones is like he yeah, great. He's here, he's been here, won a championship. <laughs> but I don't know, Jordan. I don't know. Is he good? Is this what we want? Is is an interesting question to say the least. Yes, for sure. I don't know. <laughs> I think that is clear. Um, what what more? What other thoughts do you have on Eden's particular? Because the other the other angle of this, since he has bought the bikes, these these are my other thoughts. You're you're getting into them. Yes, uh, I was going to say he, he has his hands on a lot of sports teams. He has his hands on a lot of sports teams, and is actively, I mean, reports within the last year trying to get his hands in more. Um, I, I guess there's a way you can view that as a positive and a negative the positive being well this guy clearly has a passion for sports and the business of sports and this is increasingly becoming what he does like I, I know it's not solely what he does but uh, it's got to take up a lot of his time and if he was open to buying out Lazarus stake and becoming majority shareholder of the books that's even more true so since buying the books, Wes Eden's um, partnered with Nasef Sawiris, 
uh i believe an egyptian businessman was he moroccan well, let me check that um who he is egyptian who together they bought aston villa premier league football club aston villa we're now a few years into eden's owning aston villa um trying to think what they 2018 i feel like something something yes july 2018 okay july 2018 so we're about to enter into what will be the fifth year of eden's as uh as an owner of aston villa Ty Windish, our friend, asked me this question in our in our own kind of group essay of what has Wazidens been like as an Aston Villa owner? I think the answer to that is that that is very, very difficult to answer and to quantify. And I, I do think just owning a Premier League club, particularly if you're not owning a top, top Premier League mm. club, is a different ball game to owning honestly any team in American sports because you don't have a draft that's going to kind of just give you a helping hand in theory along the way um, Eden's purchased Villa as while well, they were still in the championship if my memory serves me correctly which is second tier of English football they are back in the Premier League and they have honestly been a pretty stable Premier League team since I would say that I have noticed similarities to his first book's tenure in terms of approaches to coaching and hiring and firing of coaches. So I think Steve Bruce was the manager who's kind of a, let me think of an NBA comparison. I don't know. There's probably not too many of these guys left because they've gone out of fashion in the NBA, just they haven't Premier League. He's a guy who's managed lots of clubs, mid-tier jobs. He might give you three or four good years. Then he gets sacked. He moves on to the next one. Maybe he drops Nate down McMillan. to the lower level. Yeah, without without ever having the heights. Or Steve Clifford. Clifford could be a good one. Clifford could be a good one. Clifford is definitely better, but you're yeah. in the right kind of... People will get it from those kind of names. So Steve Bruce was, was fired, and they brought in Dean Smith, who was largely unheralded, had only really worked at lower levels... And he did a really good job. Positive results came pretty quickly. He got them promoted. Things went well for a period in the Premier League. Then when things turned, he was sacked a little bit prematurely. Seemed like a little bit quickly. Or just for the record, Dean Smith uh, was actually sacked two days ago by uh, Mark Adonazio's Norwich City. Oh. Um, so just, just to bring that full circle, uh, he, there's a man who is true like true no real desire of his own has got to dip his toe into the waters of milwaukee sports ownership um and in response to to firing dean smith let's bring it on wes eden's brought in steven gerrard who's a name that i i think even uh more casual are not people people who aren't even Soccer fans, football fans may have heard of. Um, Liverpool captain for a long time, one of the best English players of his generation. And Gerard, his career had gone along the lines of he was an academy coach, coaching U teams at Liverpool. Then he went to Scotland to coach Rangers, where 
he did a good job. There were always questions over whether he was the brains of the operation or whether his assistant was the brains of the operation. He won a league, breaking uh, a long run of Celtic winning Scottish Premier Leagues. And Edens and Sawiris and company, they have said, that's it. This is the guy for us. Uh, I In personality, I don't, this comparison doesn't hold up, but this was a very Jason Kidd hire, which honestly surprised me because again, you'd be like, uh, this guy not know at this point that you don't just go, oh, big name, former player. Uh, like, let's go get that guy. I thought it was a very strange move and it turned out to not work at all. Um, Stephen Gerrard was sacked not all that long ago, probably November, um, and replaced by Unai Emery, who is a a manager who wins Europa Leagues for fun. Um, Manager of Villarreal most recently, Sevilla, a much more proven commodity, one of the better managers in Europe. And it's something of a coup for a club like Aston Villa to get him to be their manager things have stabilized immediately and they probably look like they will remain in the premier league and continue to have a platform to build now he and his co-owner have been spending freely you kind of have to but they have been spending freely um probably the biggest transfer though of their time there is selling jack Grealish, who was a homegrown player club captain probably like a once in a generation kind of player to come true an Aston Villa system. And they sold him for somewhere in the region of 90 million pounds. I think it was to Manchester city. Greenish just had pretty mixed time of it at Manchester city. Honestly, I would not be surprised if Jack Greenish ends up back at Aston Villa in the next couple of years at a, at a cup price and probably does a lot better there than he will do at a bigger club like we've seen so far. Um, all this is to say it's mixed. I think they've been pretty shrewd when they had to sell in the case like Grealish, they got a good price. Um, they're certainly not pushovers. I see mistakes that he made with the books that were repeated, but I, I also see that there is a commitment to building something in a way that was also true of the books. Aston Villa uh, based in Birmingham which is probably third city? Second city? Third city? Like it's one of the bigger cities in the UK one of the biggest most important cities in England and has a lot of potential for a club to really take off there in a way that hasn't been the case since Villa kind of started to slip away Um, so a club with European success in their past not quite sleeping giants, but capable of that. Uh, there, there are some parallels to, uh, like, if you want to look books of the seventies and eighties. That's kind of the time when Villa were at their absolute pump. They've fallen off, and it's like, okay. And I think a lot of the investment is there. I would expect more of it to come. I don't think he's a bad owner. I just, I have, I have seen. I know even we have talked about, and it's come up with books fans like the Stephen Gerrard stuff. Definitely caught people's attention yeah just every bit of how that played out not as toxic but was jason kidd-esque and that surprised me that he did that again now the other thing we're mentioning here because we mentioned sports teams plural and this one is a little bit more vague at this point but wes edens and sf so here is where 
reported back at the beginning of 2022 as being very close to an agreement with Major League Soccer for a franchise, which would be an expansion franchise, in Las Vegas, which NBA fans don't need to be told this, NFL fans don't need to be told this. Getting the Vegas franchise is very much kind of the top prize at the moment in all of these leagues as Vegas has finally entered the sporting field. Um, they have a trademark for Las Vegas villains, obviously tying it into Aston Villa and probably forming a kind of a group as such, which is very, very common among top clubs and is increasingly seen as the way that you build your own network and be able to move players both directions and have the ultimate success. That's interesting and a smart move. There's been no more on that since. But I guess with something like expansion, that doesn't mean a whole lot. The deal could be kind of handshake agreed on. And when the time is right and all the pieces are there, that could be done. So that's something else to keep in mind. I mean, with this, from what we could see online, Wes Edens is uh, is easily the wealthiest of the book's current ownership group. So Mm -hmm. he could do this, but his money is also tied up in another sports team already in a league that like demands spending like if you do not there's no option to just play the status quo you're gonna have your wage bill and you've got to probably spend if you're Aston Villa and you're trying to rise up you need to stand still you probably got to spend 50 60 million pounds a year on transfer fees and if your goals are to climb which that ownership group's goals certainly are you're probably looking north of 100 million pounds maybe 150 million pounds Per year. I'm not a numbers man, Jordan, but <laughs> this is part of the concern here. It would be just it's one less person to like shoulder, yeah. say, the luxury tax load, where Edens may not be crazy about the extent to which the book's payroll is costing them at the moment, for example. But if Lazarus there and this is Lazarus' only thing and he's like, well, I, this is my team. I want to win. That's one voice saying we do it. Dining could be another voice. Fasciatelli could be another. It does get a lot simpler for someone to just be like, no, this isn't where my money is best spent at the moment because I feel like if I spent that 80 million that's going here, if I took that over to Aston Villa and I spent it on this player, well, that could move me up to here and you're part of a larger sporting ecosystem for one guy. Now, one other thing did cross my mind here. I wonder, I wonder, could Nassif Swahiris end up involved in this? Seeing as he is a partner with Edens in one team, looks set to be with an MLS team. I wonder if Edens himself doesn't go for this. Does he consider bringing in someone who he is now partnered with on multiple teams um again that's purely purely conjecture and Nasser Suharis is the richest Arab individual in the world the fourth richest African um net worth I think was somewhere around nine billion dollars I just that's clearly that's something that's got going but then this might be the thing that Edens is just like I want this for myself I don't know the other side of this is if Lazary is seeing the big payday coming and thinking, okay, this is a good time to leverage my sale. 
because I can command a higher price because everyone knows what's coming and I might even make out better by getting in front of it rather than waiting to see and then selling with the new rights deal there. Like, are Eden's pockets deep enough to have all of that going on and keep this team and contend at a serious level long term? Or would his interest in buying out Lazary be okay? Well, I'll pay a slight premium now to get his share, but I'm going to make that back because I have a much bigger percentage of the pie to share to sell uh, five years. Someone else. Yes. When the whole thing goes up for sale. Like, and that's kind of where it's interesting. And I feel like my concern somewhat grows even greater too is that I wonder is. If Eden is interested in taking that Lazary share, is he really interested in being the longtime majority owner? Or would he then start to view it as, okay, well, I've got a much, much bigger piece of the pie and I'm going to reap the rewards. Because even, and there's actually something disingenuous about that. Like we talk about the idea of, oh, we want this team to like go through our family for generations and generations. That might be something that is easy for kind of all of those guys to say when they're in it together when there's a shared burden of the spending yeah as opposed to oh it's well it's all on you now there there look there's so much i'd like we've possibly bored everyone to death now i hope not because you and i do find this stuff interesting and beyond interesting i mean it's honestly as important as anything we're going to talk about related to the books on a podcast until Mm. further developments with this, you know, because if we find ourselves in the off season, we're complaining about the books are selling off players because they don't want to pay that luxury tax anymore. Well, it comes back to this conversation and decisions that one way or another come out of it. Um, Yeah. I just, I, I don't know also to what extent now, it's the one thing we haven't mentioned, and it is one of the success stories of Lazari of Edens, of Dine and of Fasciatelli, is sports teams aren't generally profitable. I wouldn't go yes. as far as claiming the books are. <laughs> but the books and the surrounding area and all the things they have generate a lot of money, a lot more money, like exponentially more money than they did when they bought the franchise. Maybe we're overstating what it costs to own the books and to be able to keep this going when your roster is like this, because maybe, you know, your income coming in is covering more of this than we're fully accepting of. I don't know. I don't have the specifics on that. If that was the case, though, I don't think Lazarus selling or not selling yet. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. He'd hold just a little bit longer, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, that's again. It just goes back to the timing of all this that makes it even more interesting because it's like there is, as you mentioned, he has his governorship ending um, twenty twenty four season, which would line up with the end of the media rights deal and CBA is getting worked out at the end of this year, it has to get agreed on, blah, 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 blah. So, like, there's so many different factors in play um, that makes the timing of all this very interesting. And it's like, it's, I don't know. I don't know how the logic for anyone or anyone's position is. 
um, outside of just like trying to keep things stable as much as possible from a fan perspective, but we're not dealing from a fan's perspective. We're dealing from a business perspective and that's where it's hard to parse motivations and who's really in it for the long haul. Because as you mentioned, things have gotten better. The, the biggest stink about anything in the last, you know, what handful of years, basically since bug got here was spending. It was the luxury tax. It was things that they can control. It wasn't necessarily about, you know, power struggles or, you know, Jason Kidd preferring to draft Rashad Vaughn over Bobby Porter's, like stuff like that that just like constantly was being whispered about in the background and then eventually in the foreground. This is much different where you don't know where people's motivations lie or you say that because your fa- some of the family is very you know prominent and public faces that they want to keep them owning the team in the years to come and generational and all that stuff that as you as we talked about earlier that also can be lip service about like saying the good things and keeping the goodwill and all that stuff and then when it comes time to well i'm just kind of getting stuck and you know I want to get out at the, when the getting out is good and all that stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I that's where it's, it's murky situation, but it's also need necessary conversation to have because eventually it will affect where the bucks are on the call five years from now, or even sooner. Definitely could, sooner. Could be much sooner. Could be yeah. much, much sooner. I mean, I, like, and that's the other thing with, if Eden's is interested, this could happen very quickly because there aren't as many hoops to jump true for everyone involved um, and from an NBA perspective there wouldn't even be as many hoops for anyone to jump through so I mean the other thing on the idea of kind of this kind of dynasty that passes through families generation generations I, I think it's it's a lovely noble idea um, but we can also see like I think the Lakers and the Bus family are an example of where that can kind of become an anchor around your neck and an anchor around the franchise's neck absolutely like it it doesn't necessarily work out like that. I also like even Eden's at the place he's at. Like this is something you and I have we have seen in looking back in time at how the book's ownership has evolved and who's taken place. And honestly, this is the story of NBA ownership throughout its history, and it's the reason why there are fewer and fewer kind of ownership dynasties at this point. It's very, very quickly the time span where it can change from you being wealthy enough to buy in and own an NBA franchise to when it passes you by to where you are no longer wealthy enough to own an NBA franchise. Yeah. And the soaring value adds to that because, I mean, yes, all of these owners are going to get bigger paydays, new rights deals. The value of your team is going to go up. That also means basketball-related income is going to go up. Salaries are going to soar. It is going to become a lot more expensive to run an NBA team in a day-to-day as it becomes more lucrative. And it is taking it. This is something like to go to the Premier League element like that we've seen in other sports already. It takes it beyond the tier of person. Like There is wealthy, there is billionaires, and then there is billionaires. 
And over the next 20 years, the NBA is probably moving into that ladder tier where to compete and to be able to just run this thing without it being a massive strain on you, you've got to have like probably in the upwards of eight, nine, 10 billion um, to begin with. Like yeah. we're, we're getting into crazy, crazy territory. That doesn't have to be an individual. That could be a, a group of people, but it's, it is going to change and has already changed. Like we've seen it with someone like Steve Ballmer comes in and the impact that has. And it would seem like longer term, there's going to be more of that than like Lazarus and Edens were a big step up from kind of the Cole-esque figure. Cole is again, something of an anomaly because of kind of a lot of what's been built there, but a big step up from the Cole-esque figure of ownership. There is going to be a turn from guys like Lazarus and Edens to something beyond that again, um, which maybe like, this could just all be very pragmatic and it could be looking at the situation and being like, you know what? It's best for me. It's best for our family. It's best for everyone that we were in at the perfect time, had all the success we could get. Let's sell it and move on. This chapter is closed and we did it. And we'll always have the memories of that. Even if, you know, everyone else won't to my, my yeah. earlier point, but like that, that is also part of this. I, I don't know how long, it's insane to say, but guys with like net worths of two billion, three billion, four billion, five billion are going to be able to hang with what NBA ownership becomes. It's very true, very true. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's what makes it even more like you tug at your neck collar of just like, ugh. like we sweated over what seemed like a slam dunk in very financial ways of like Giannis's decision and how could someone pass up that kind of money when first of all, he rightly deserves it based on what he does and the significance he means to this team, but all the ensuing moves of like just keeping the band together and Bud and Horace, I mean, it's very nominal compared to player salaries for sure. But like, I don't know. This is, yeah, it's where it's like, there's so many different roads that this could take. Um, it's so much uncertainty and all that stuff. And I'm sure there will be details that will come out very soon because there's going to be a lot more teams that are going to be talked about openly about selling. And the Blazers are a big, the big elephants really um, in terms of- I also, entire on teams. that, Stein going- on the record as such, like uh, just a major reporter coming out and being like, yeah, it's time to publish on this. It's time to yeah. not just hint at this or I'm kind of speak about this in innuendo. It's time to write about it. the book's ownership could change. That generally, that kind of thing signals open season. Yes. And will, if they weren't already, and they probably were already, and I'm sure they were hearing the same things in Woj's case, well, we've heard him hint at it. But the likes of Shams and Woj and I don't know other people, someone like Baxter Holmes, who tends to focus on ownership stuff, it seems a lot more. You're gonna get all of those kind of people in addition then to local coverage too, where there's there's gonna be more scrutiny to this, and we're gonna hear more possibly even pretty soon. Yeah. Uh before we move off it completely, are there any alternatives that spring to mind for you? I mean, I, I think there is 
there's an alternative I wouldn't be crazy about, which is Lazarus Cher could fit in perfectly to this kind of uh, to the level that Adam Silver seems to be hinting at being prepared to let mm. state investments fall under. And of course, we talked at length about Abu Dhabi and the books were just back from there. Um, I don't know what kind of relationships were built up there. Like, uh, that's, I don't know if we're just at the point yet where the NBA is ready for that. Um, but a lot of teams in the NBA are owned by a single owner, where if the NBA is saying, oh, well, you can only own less than 50%, that's just kind of closing up options altogether. This could be a case where, literally that kind of stake opens up and gives someone a foot in the door and with a franchise that has a a global international superstar. I don't like that. That's just worth mentioning. I don't know if we're at the point where that's ready to happen, but that is one alternative. Um, That might take this dragging out a little bit longer, I think, than it seems like things would be now. But if Lazary holds on for another year, 18 months, if we get a couple of years of rumors on and off, that is a possibility. Um, of course, there will be countless other figures whose names we will not know um, in a Matt Ishbia way who are just like, I want involvement in an NBA team. I want to own an NBA team who are probably circling. And in situations like this, generally the introductions get made. Um, this is how Lasby and Edens came to own the books. Essentially, Adam Silver and other owners will act as a conciliary and we'll kind of get some... It's a blind date set up, Jordan, and we'll see who could come in. My only other question here, and I don't know if I want to unpack this one too deeply, um, because I know some figures that we may not be crazy about, but there might be others that I'm not thinking of, or there might be some that you can remember from previous rumblings kind of appearing. Is there any Wisconsin billionaire out there there is plenty of generational mega wealth within the state of wisconsin is there anyone that you can recall hearing being rumored interested in getting involved with a team is there is there a figure like that that i may not be aware of or that even some listeners aren't thinking of that you think could could factor into the discussion like this from the state um not to my knowledge and granted i mean the last time the bucks were up for sale is you know what it, they were sold for four five hundred fifty million even though mm-hmm. cole's thing was part of that essentially 450 million um they I also anybody... they, they just weren't appealing at that time oh absolutely not yeah um now I could see someone with deep pockets, state roots, and like ingrained in the state, being like, "Got all this Milwaukee real estate we pick up, you know? Mm-hmm. This is a this is a global brand now. Like I, I I think it is different from that time where there could be a level of wealth. I don't know if I want to get into unpacking everything that comes with some of the wealthy figures, um, but. I'm just wondering, is that something? There's no one who jumps out to you anyway. No. Um, even Wikipedia uh, has a, a friendly list of prominent investors, owners, and stuff like that. I don't think 
many of them could even touch that the level of money that is probably involved in this kind of sale. I'm looking at you, Aaron Rodgers. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I, I cannot think of anybody that would probably step up for something like this. But that's just me. I could be wrong too. Yeah, we could find out. Uh, I just like that's again. I think there is different appeals to the books now, and that's something we should be concerned about somewhat too. Like I'll give my um, the football club I support is Manchester United, who have been owned and gutted by the Glazer family, now also owners of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. For I mean, we're coming close enough to two decades now. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they saw was something that they could have cash flow from and that they could use to finance against to protect their other properties and interests and something that they could take dividends from and take dividends from and take dividends from because it is a major global brand and a business interest that can fuel their other business interests and keep the whole empire afloat. Uh, the books are not a brand name of that caliber but for someone more locally and maybe even just talking about wisconsin like some more midwestern there is a lot that comes with the books and a lot of ways that that can serve and kind of work within and that's the kind of owner you don't want you don't want the owner who is not invested in basketball and we know how it goes wrong when you've got the investor who really wants to be involved in basketball but i do think the other kind of owner is the one to really be scared of yeah for sure. <laughs> are, are they in it for the right reasons kind of thing? Or is this like another toy to them? Because... Or not even a toy. It's just, a is it a business tool? A toy yeah. A toy gets played a toy, with. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Know? Yeah. Like, yeah. is it just something that they're like, oh, well, that would be an interesting asset for a portfolio. You know, like that's, yeah. that's the kind of... And the books are much more interesting in that capacity now. Again, this is assuming and this isn't stuff we don't know and could be an interesting kind of thing to emerge from the last reset. Like, what does buying a stake in the books include? Yeah. Like, well, where is the delineation between companies, between properties? But if that is all the one thing, if they all come in or if even cuts of that come back to the one thing as kind of a mothership, I do think it makes it intriguing in a different way. Uh, should we should we talk about the actual basketball team for just a few minutes? We won't be doing too long on it, but yeah, reluctantly. Uh, I'll be candid first up front. I have not seen the the most recent Bulls game because NBA League Pass just refused to let me watch it this morning. I wanted to watch it before our podcast. It sounds like NBA League Pass may have been looking out for me on this occasion. Um, I was seeing some of it on Twitter, so I'm aware of how things played out. I guess we don't even need to really dive into specifics of that game. We could talk more generally. Uh, we have certainly reached the the mass concern phase of the season, Jordan. People yes. are concerned, I would say, verging on agitated. Maybe some people are not even verging on agitated. I'm not here to tell anyone not to uh, not to feel like that. It's probably valid. Um, I'll I'll give my thoughts in a moment, but I'll go to you first of all because I feel like it should be a real question for books fans. They should be like, 
you know, instead of what would Jesus do, is would Jordan be concerned? Because over the years, you've rarely been concerned about books things. Honestly, you're just like, yeah. Are you concerned? I'm a little concerned. I think there's cause for concern. Um, and uh, as a follow-up that you can break into with your answer here too, you're a little concerned. What specifically are you a little concerned about? Because I think this is important too. Uh, to go from 10 and 0 to start the year, I believe it was 10 and 0, um, 13 and 12 over the last 25 games. So 500. Um, Chris Middleton returns, then is absent. Believe there was swelling in his knee. It has been a reason for, you know, taking, starting to take it safe, precautionary reasons, all that stuff. Joe Ingles comes back and he looks like a guy that has not played basketball in 10 months and is playing with an entirely different supporting cast. Um, even if there are some glimmers of like, oh, okay. Um, I'm on Joe Island, by the way. I'm just so making that clear. Everyone else seems to have like scurried off into the water already. I'm, like, I'm there. I'm, like, I'm on uh, the beach. Pina Tom Colada. Hanks. Tom Hanks and Captain Phillips. I got my binoculars. I'm looking on Joe Island, Ingalls Island, and I'm looking just like, hmm. Um, Giannis, do it a lot. Couldn't say he's doing a little too much in some cases. I don't know. Uh, Grayson Allen just frustrates me to no fucking end. I'm sorry, just to throw in that swear. <laughs> wow. I, yeah, I, I've. That's like a yeah. once in four years, Jordan swearing on the pod. I didn't expect yeah. that. I am letting it loose with Grayson because I just cannot, I cannot understand this man. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's, I, I do think. One, the other thing about this whole thing is they played a grueling, grueling December. Every that was game, tough schedules they could have. I, I think for the rest of the season too, right? Yeah, but I, I even mean objectively, like not even just as, oh, within the context of their season, if you were to draw up like what's the, the toughest schedule stretch you could have in the NBA, they run a billion miles off of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, very hard, hard for an old team too. That's the other thing. They just are, they look very old. They, (laughs) to, to play every other day, to be in and out of the lineup with, you know, Drew has missed some time with illnesses. Chris has obviously been in and out. Ingles is working his way back. They've missed other guys too. Um, Wesley Matthews and George Hill kind of have been starting to get a little bit more run, but they've been kind of on the outskirts as you know, they, the team is starting to get more full strength, but it's been fits and starts. Um, there's a lot of reason for context be- behind why they have slipped as much as they have. Um, but I just think that they're, they have to kind of go back to the basics a little bit. They've been looking, they've been just getting beaten in, you know, very, whether soundly or they're just losing it like in the in the bulls case where they undergo this drastic collapse and somehow you know still goes to overtime and had a fighter's chance and just didn't have any gas um 
would we see that in, you know, if the schedule is played out differently and they're not on the road all the time going into Christmas and just like the effects of what that has on players, you know, or on a team like this, I would think it would be a lot different, but you know, that's just me being the optimist of where the Bucks stand and all that stuff. I don't know. It's just, I, I, I think this is, I think for me and I, how I've thought about it, this, this stretch, I think I would have expected this the first six weeks where we knew we were going to be without Chris. Pat was added into that too. We knew it was going to be tough sailing. It's going to be a lot on the shoulders of Giannis, Brooke, Drew, goes on down the line, the, the endless, okay, who's going to be starting in Chris's spot? Who's going to be starting in um, Grayson's spot? Are they going to go back to Javon? All these different questions. I would have expected this to start the season. I think a lot of Bucks fans expected it too. So to go on the start of the season that they had and look like, oh, like they're they're not messing around. They don't like they, they miss Chris, but they don't miss him as much as they do. Now it's like the island of misfit toys a little bit, where it's like, okay, how do we get back to putting the the puzzle pieces together as Bud looks for the last piece? Um, and all these different things that are kind of you know strewn about of how can this all fit back together and i think that's where it's very frustrating to see that they are playing in a very non-bucks like way like they're just getting run off the floor in some cases like the memphis game the cleveland game um the brooklyn game they're they're playing against teams that are harder and tougher and you know it's not the cupcake schedule they had to start the year but you just want to prove yourself against the teams that you're going to likely see in April and May, if you get that far. And I think that's where, you know, these, those games matter to fans a lot more than it would be, you know, against the Rockets. I shouldn't say Rockets because they lost them, but you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing of like, let's get up for the Celtics. Let's get up for the Nets that are looking like they finally figured it out and are, you know, choosing to stay above (laughs) the drama and all that stuff. So I think that's where I plenty of time, Jordan. Don't you worry. Exactly. But yeah, that's where I kind of stand of like, there's cause for concern. There's reason for why they have hit the skid. There's just some things that are unacceptable. It's unacceptable to lose to a Bulls team that just was not that good um, for much of that night. And they still managed to win a game that, you know, the Bucks let slip away from their fingers. I'm not concerned about Grayson Allen and Joe Ingles and all of that kind of crap. I honestly, I just think it's a waste of time. I think it's a waste of all our collective energy. The season is not about those players. They can be crucial contributors for better or worse. And we can talk about that another time. I'm not concerned about that. That is not what matters in this stretch. And it's not what's going to matter in the playoffs. I think you're right to say we would have expected something like this early in the season, given like Chris, we knew was going to be out. But the reality is it's just come later because Chris is out now too. Yeah. And the schedule was so soft to start the season that you can get away with it. And you've got a kind of cumulative effect of things where it feels like, yeah, they were able to power through that stretch in the schedule early on. Giannis had to do a lot for that to happen. Drew had to do a lot for that to happen. Brooke had to do a lot for that to happen. And now, coming to like the turn of the year, when you're still being asked to do all that, I, I'm not surprised there's a drop-off. 
you're playing much, much better teams. Like, my biggest concern is Chris Middleton. Biggest concern. It, to me, it is the only concern. The Bucks losing these games, and we all get caught up in all the different elements, and you watch the game, and player X will piss you off, or player Y, or Bud will, or it'll be this element or that element. And there are certainly, like, the defense is a question, like, what it is, as yeah. opposed to what its stated goal was to be, what it's been in previous years. I would have questions over that, but I also recognize they're not getting to be the team they want to be. The run of teams they played without Chris Middleton, I don't know how much better the books are than most of those teams. Or if they're like when people look and they're like, this isn't the team that's gonna win a championship. Like, yeah, well, they played about as well as they could without Chris last year and they lost to the Celtics. So yeah. not playing as not playing well and not having Chris isn't gonna get you a win over the Celtics or make that a close game. Um, or a win over the Nets with how they're looking. Or a, a team that's really hungry and honestly just impressively deep and well-organized like the Cavs. Or the Pelicans, who've been having such a strong season. Like, they beat the Pelicans, but this is a run of games. You look at all of that and you're like, no, Chris. Then you've got Drew missing some games in there. The books as we imagine them and the standard we hold them up to, they're constructed to have Chris Middleton out there. And this is kind of regardless of what people think Chris is, where he's at in his career. And maybe like this is just the problem, and this is kind of a fear we had is what if Chris is just gonna have injuries? One, he's not gonna look the same, and two injuries continue. It's gonna create a big problem for the books. This could be the start of that. Hopefully, it's not. Hopefully, we do see him get back healthy, play consistently, and things work themselves out. But like I'm not concerned about the books not looking like champions and they don't have Chris Milton out there because the team is not built for them to be champions without Chris Milton based on yeah. what he's paid, based on all the decisions. Like I think Wes Matthews is a great example. Wes Matthews looks cooked to me. Yeah. That might, that might turn. We may see some positive contributions from him in small bursts as it goes on. He's a guy who had kind of fallen out of the rotation. George Hill, we've kind of seen on and off those guys fall out. And that's like they're back and they're playing in lineups which don't serve them well. Everyone's like, Bud, what are you doing? It's like, well, Bud would like to have Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday out there, but he doesn't, so he's turning to options. Now, should he be turning to Marjan over Wes or George Hill? Yeah, I think there's certainly a strong case for that. But you're kind of, you're getting down into the web of decisions that get made only because you're missing those guys. That's my concern. My concern is Chris Middleton. My concern is I don't, maybe I've missed some stuff. <laughs> I don't think so because I know how the books operate. I don't really have a clear view of the injury, what it is, where it is. And I also wouldn't be fully convinced that this is an injury that's entirely different from, okay, maybe he wasn't where he needed to be and he's had a setback. Like, would the books tell us that if it was? We know the answer to that is likely no. Um, like they're my concerns. My concerns aren't, and this is Jay Crowder continues to come up, and I get even more and more why people talk about it. Jay Crowder is not fixing any of this. No, no, like they're gonna suck, they're gonna trade for Jay Crowder, and they will lose games against good teams if they don't have Chris Middleton. It's as simple as that. Like, I, I don't, I don't get what kind of 
I don't personally see what's worried about investing in the smaller things because I feel like we're all kind of looking for, oh, and that's not to say that like they shouldn't beat the Bulls when they have a comfortable lead against the Bulls late on and the Bulls are just not good anyway. Of course they should beat the Bulls. But that is coming at the end of a grueling run. They've been on the road for five straight games now yeah. over Christmas. That's not fun. That's honestly, that's bullshit from a scheduling perspective. Yes. Um, like, oh, how about you don't get to spend time at home with your family or kids at all, at all over Christmas? How would you like that, books? <laughs> so, like, for me, that is where my focus lies. Like, this is a real problem if they don't come true. What is a very easy stretch in the schedule? riding the ship but also it does take chris like and it was in all of our kind of models all they're projecting out of this season that at some point you need him back like if we're talking about Giannis is doing a lot but it's not necessarily the best of Giannis we've seen part of that is he's doing a lot for a long time now and he needs chris back and he doesn't just need chris back for three or four games where he's not chris middleton yet and he needs chris middleton back where he's going to play the final 30, 40 games of a season and get up to speed. And by all-star break, we're like, okay, Chris is 18 to 24 points a night. We're in that range. He's going to have six assists, six rebounds. He's the guy that everyone can bank on. And it makes life easier for Drew. It makes life easier for Giannis. And however you feel about whatever role player, we could go to every role player on this team. It makes life easier for all of them as well. Grayson Allen is... Less annoying if Chris Middleton is out there doing as much Chris Middleton stuff as he has done at his best. There's less opportunity for everyone to be like, oh my God, Grayson Allen is costing his team the game. So I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I I only dip my toe, my my pinky toe, Jordan, into oh. the, into the Twitter waters right now. Um when I do, I see a lot of negativity and I get it and i know even we've had these conversations again amongst ourselves and amongst our our fellow gspn hosts and we definitely come from different places on that and are viewing the team through different prisms right now but for me my i'm not like i, I just for me anyone else you could do what you want if it makes you feel better if you feel it's productive i fully endorse it for me i just feel it'd be a waste of energy for us to come on here and be like the books have lost four straight games, and Grayson Allen is the problem. It's like Grayson Allen is not the won't problem. Shoot. It's like, does that, like the the bones of the team? I think is made up at the moment, kind of, of a lot of guys who are underperforming. They're not underperforming that much, though. They're slightly underperforming while being asked to do more, and that yeah. is making it more pronounced, more of a problem for the books. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just should be angrier, Jordan. Maybe I should feel more. But does that does that make sense? That like, do I just seem completely engaged, disengaged? Have I have I lost it? If I'm just like, I'm not worried about anything other than Chris Milton. But the reality is, I just don't think anything else matters. I don't think the other stuff, like the intricacies of it are not the same as they would be in a playoff context. If Chris is back, the conversation about Grayson and what he's doing, that's hurting or helping a team is different now than it would be come playoff time. And that other conversation is valid and worthwhile having when 
the bigger problem is dealt with. I just, I don't want to look away and kind of ignore this massive, like, a wrecking ball has come through a wall of our home over here, Jordan, right? And there's just this big, there's this big void, cold air coming in. And I'm over the other side. I'm like, could we do some new windows over here? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that make the place look nicer? Get some new windows. That was better. Better prepared for windows. Don't look up some, situation. We had some new will. windows. <laughs> Not going there. Uh, <laughs> that's where it is for me. There's this massive, like, the book's home is in disrepair, Jordan, because one of the three core pieces is not on the court. Yeah. And honestly, we don't know when he'll be on the court, what he'll look like when he's on the court. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I'm allowed that. You're allowed that. I I grant you that uh, ruling, that, that standing. Um Honestly, yes. I feel like it's a very old school Jordan Tresky take, which like, I don't know if over the years you've you've influenced me, but sometimes I feel more Jordan than Jordan now. Where do I begin and where do I end? Is where <laughs> And that goes back to where no, I was gonna make a terrible Lazary selling joke. I don't know. Okay, we do need to wrap up because oh, I have yeah. a heart out very, very soon. But there's one thing we need to do before we wrap up. Jordan Tresky. Jordan Tresky's Mike Dunlap's Tweets of the Week. I can't remember how we're branding this. That's maybe different again. That's kind of the bit at this point. But uh, what is our assistant coach Mike Dunlap Tweet of the Week? Well, this is, seeing that this is our last win in six of 2022. We, That's right. Know, Happy New Year to every Bucks fan out there. And the next episode is our, our first annual Mike Dunlap Tweet of the Year Awards show, right? Oh, oh, oh. we might need it depending if they on lose, how... if they lose like three games between now and then. That could be the next episode. That'll be our breaking cla- class, breaking, break glass in case of emergency situation. Thank you. Let's go to the tweet. Tweeted 2.23 p.m. December 26, 2022, post Christmas. No New Year's resolution. Instead, think in, quote, ones, end quote, meaning target one thing on mind, such as discipline of tongue, shedding yourself of a potty mouth. Jordan, that's directed at you. Thank you. Bottom line, discipline of mouth vital to being able to move from one audience to another, semicolon. Sledgehammers, not always the answer. Is that a Giannis subtweet? <laughs> okay, we don't need that to. Be, that was that being was We don't need to sell uh, so any animosity between Coach Mike Dunlop and the book's players. Um, yeah, this is just directed at you and that, that F-bomb you dropped earlier, Jordan. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for it. Discipline of that, mouth. That's that what you've got to bomb. work on. Um. Yeah, it's a really, really strong tweet. Good, good. When a couple of days off for the books, good things happen. So uh, it's always it, the key to my good Mike Dunlap tweet: day off. He needs some days off, as we all do. As, as, don't we all? Season. Don't we all? To be at our best, the books need to get home and get some time off. Um, they'll get a chance to at least get home. So what soon? That does it for us. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. 
gspn.info. That'll give you all of the Eurostep Podcast Network stuff. You've got Eurostep here on the same channel, the Eurostep Podcast Network. It was a tie in Rohan. It's where you'll find more winning six, myself and Jordan. Talk of the Tundra. The playoff bound? Question mark. Green Bay Packers. Who could say? <laughs> Who could say? Time will tell. Uh, um, Numak, uh, Jordan, talking all things Packers <laughs> over there. And cruising for bruising, talking all things Milwaukee Brewers, myself and Andrew Snyder. Uh, we are done. We took a week off to wrap up 2022. And we'll be back to kick off 2023 very soon. Until the next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.